I'd say my biggest um, highlight from the games themselves would be um, just the atmosphere when you're playing and wheeling into that stadium and having you know thousands and thousands of people there and, and your family, you can see your family and friends there. I think that's pretty amazing to be able to play in front of that sort of crowd and also having people back in Australia and around the world watching on television. I think that's, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. That's the Gliders wheelchair basketballer Kobe Crispin talking about her experience at the Rio Paralympics. Whether you do sport for pleasure, leisure, competition or career, each choice requires a pathway. We're talking about the AIS FTEM framework. FTEM stands for Foundations, Talent, Elite and Mastery. And in this episode, AIS Athlete Pathways Development Expert Dr Juanita Weissensteiner is discussing the Elite and Mastery Pathways. Juanita, just to recap briefly, what is FTEM and who is it for? Yes, FTEM is an operational framework, so it's a real complement of best practice coordinated strategies for enhancing the whole of the athlete pathway, so from foundation all the way up to our podium level athletes. So we use this framework primarily to communicate, educate and connect all stakeholders, whether that's parents and coaches from the grassroots to state sporting organisations, to national sporting organisations, to the Australian Sports Commission and the AIS at a system level. So, Juanita, at this elite and mastery stage, you're now utilising worldwide evidence-based research and your own research with past and current elite athletes, which gives us a really good profile of what it takes to get to the elite and mastery stages. Can you talk us through that? Yes, that's right. So... FTEM is informed by uh, contemporary global research and practice. So we we really comb, I guess, the whole of the, the globe to look at what's best practice. But also importantly, we do our own research internally, uh, primarily through engaging the athlete's voice, particularly elite and mastery level athletes. So those athletes that have gotten to podium and have done that perennially at the world stage, we we know that they're an untapped resource and they're critical providers of experience and expertise. So we do that through our My Sporting Journey questionnaire, which is a online survey that I actually put together about three or four years ago that is really a conglomerate of lots and lots of uh, questions and themes from global research and it is a survey that chronicles the whole development pathway of an athlete. So for instance uh, if we were to get a podium level athlete to do it they would fill out line of questioning from their very early foundation so talking about their parents and their siblings and their early sport experiences through the talent phases so what their experiences were as an emerging athlete and then what were their experiences, good and bad, at the elite and mastery sort of level. So at this point in time, we have over 1,500 athletes that have completed the My Sporting Journey questionnaire and the My Sporting Journey questionnaire has been really critical evidence for national sporting organisations to gleam information about the athletes that are living and breathing, you know, their pathway. So we now know through the My Sporting Journey questionnaire, we know that athlete development is a really chaotic and dynamic phenomenon. So why is this information critical? 
for the AIS, the AIS's remit through Australian Winning Edge strategy is about sustainable international success. So we really want to be able to learn and nurture more elite and mastery level athletes. So if we can learn more about their athlete profile and about their environmental profile and the system context, we can then relay that information down the pathway so we can draw on, you know, the foundational commonalities. What were those catalysts that really enhanced the foundational development and utilise that to enhance current strategies? And that's information we share with the Australian Sports Commission to hone their participation strategies. We can also use the elite profile to look at and review current talent ID and development strategies so that it's catering for that holistic athlete profile and also we're drawing on well what do we need in terms of environmental support in those emerging levels as well and then at the very top it's all about honing you know the case management and prolonging you know the longevity of our very best athletes in terms of their profile but also the environmental and system support so it's really critical information we use with national sporting organisations in particular, to review and hone their current strategies all along the athlete pathway. So I just wanted to share with the listeners some of the commonalities that we're finding, you know, of our very best athletes, the E2 and M levels. And what we're finding is they've got uh, very strong family backgrounds. So their parents have commonly done the journey before in sport, so they've competed at a high level, The parents have really valued sport. They're very supportive of their child investing in sport. And that's we're talking about the mums and the dads. And also the parents not only competed in sport, but they're fantastic volunteers as well. So they're playing all different roles as well. We're also finding that there's a sibling advantage as well. So a lot of our very best athletes have had siblings that... Uh, we're older, so commonly our podium level athletes are younger born, uh, but these older siblings have competed uh, in the same sport or maybe a different sport and to a high level. So they've done the journey before and as a younger sibling, you're actually observing and learning you know, from your parents that have done the journey, but then also a sibling that's done the journey, which is really neat and that's why we, we call it a bit of a familial advantage and also those siblings obviously are providing competition in the backyard as well and and providing emotional support. We're also finding our very best athletes invested in a lot of deliberate play so a lot of free play so they were dabbling in the backyard a lot and they were using opportunity at school you know to hone their skills and they were also sampling lots of sports, so at least on average three to four sports before they specialised. They were also afforded flexible competition exposure. So if they were ready for a, a progression in competition levels, they were afforded it by their coach. So they weren't stuck in age-restricted competition. So to enhance their sports-specific skills, that was really, really key for a lot of them, that they were able to compete against older peers and adults at a younger age compared to the, the rest of the athletes. They also had an early taste of success and they had very strong self-belief 
in their competencies, even very early on, had this vision of standing on the podium or, you know, getting that premiership medal. So they have very strong intrinsic motivations and they wanted to fulfil that dream. That's interesting, Juanita, that they had a vision of them on the podium and, and that's, that's been a strong commonality, has it? I think when you talk to them, you know, there was something very early on where they've observed someone, you know, at the Olympics excelling and there's something that's just resonated with them and they thought, you know, that's for me and I want to achieve that too. I want to aspire towards that. So they're, they're certainly driven, focused individuals, you know, nothing is going to stop them. You know, a lot of our very best athletes have had a lot of setbacks, things that you'd think would derail them from that ultimate journey up, but it doesn't. They seem to have an interesting psyche where they see it as an opportunity for learning and they're positive. It doesn't derail, derail their campaign. They work on something different to still ultimately get to where they need to get, which is really, really interesting. And that's where Uh, We talk about chance events. So chance events are those events outside of their control, but they're still being able to work out a strategy to get around it or to use that and transpose it into something positive, which is really interesting. So what's an example of a chance event? What's what's that look like? Oh, it could be a particular injury. So for St Talent transfer athletes, the injury might have been a precursor for them moving from their prior sport into their main sport or injury might be an opportunity to focus on their mental training. So there's, yeah, it's really interesting. Or they see it that, yeah, it was a particular turning point in their career that they were able to reflect and regroup and uh, try different tact. So when we look specifically at the pre-elite development of our very best athletes, again, we found uh, some numerous commonalities of these athletes. They had holistic athlete profiles, so they weren't relying just on physicality to get them to the very top. They had quite a well-rounded or what we call compensatory athlete profile. So they had great sports-specific skills, but they also had great psychological skills as well as good physicality, as well as good neuromuscular, you know, robustness. They were also very good self-regulators, So they were able to draw on training and competition and use it as a learning opportunity. You know, these athletes crave information. They're eternal scholars. They're never satisfied. They want to keep learning and learning and tweaking and tweaking. Uh, And so that that self-regulation is key. And you do find that they have this really interesting multidimensional but complementary psychological profile. So they've, they've got good coping strategies. They're resilient but also they're dabbling in some strategies like visualisation, like imagery, like routines. Also, they're able to balance what we call the dual career. So they're able to effectively balance and be organised and cope with the competing demands or concurrent demands of sport with school or with their job. They're good in terms of their load management. So they're effectively case managed and they're not overloading in terms of their training loads and then the most important thing is that they've they've partnered with a with a really great coach so there's a really positive match of athlete and coach uh, that's characterized by you know strong communication uh, with shared decision making 
uh, you know, they're sharing the, the journey together. So they, that seems to be, you know, those commonalities of our very best athletes in their emerging phases or the talent phases. And then at the pinnacle um, of F10, so we're talking about the elite and mastery phases, and when we've looked at our very best athletes, we found that they've got very strong brain power. So they've got that facilitative, multidimensional psychological profile that was very early on in the talent phases but has been refined and honed, you know, by the time they're in that elite sort of level. And this has been really critical because at the elite level, you know, a lot of these athletes have to negotiate numerous concurrent stressors, what we call high-performance stressors. So a lot of competing demands and stressors on them and, and those chance events that we talked about. So it could be injury, it could be deselection, it could be a loss of a coach. So actually having this strong facilitative psychological profile actually allows them to effectively manage and negotiate, you know, those stressors and those chance events. And that seems to be really, really key to podium success and perennial podium success. These athletes have what we call the hunger you know, again, they're so driven, they're so committed uh, that, you know, when they commit to an Olympic Games or Paralympics, you know, nothing's going to stop them. They're so driven and committed to that. Uh, They had the right support team around them. So importantly, they're not doing the journey on their own. They've got a carefully selected support team. So the right coach match access to mentors, so they're drawing on mentors and learning from them, from role models, their family or partners, their peers, the right practitioners that can help support them as well. And a really interesting finding is that they're very good at innovation and reinventing themselves. So a good example of that is James Tompkins, who was a former rower for Australia. You know, he was a multiple gold medalist And through his uh, so many years, I think he went to four or five Olympic Games, as he was getting older, he was able to economise and he actually changed up the different crews or boats that he went in. So that's a form of being reinventive. So it seems to be a hallmark, you know, of our very, very best athletes. I was just going to say, Juanita, that the F10 framework really is um, all about the, the fact that Elite athletes don't just pop out of nowhere. They've actually come from the grassroots. And that's that journey, isn't it, from foundations through to mastery? That's exactly right. And I think, you know, we're we're a big hitter. You know, we've got such a small populace and we punch above our weight, you know, um, internationally. It's phenomenal what we're able to achieve. But I guess working with FTEM and working with stakeholders, there's opportunities for us to tweak a few things and to actually make such a big difference to our talent pipeline, but also sustainable international success. Thanks, Juanita. That's the final of this three-part series on the FTEM framework. We'll leave you with Rio Olympic rowing gold medalist Kim Brennan and her vision to become an Olympian. I had a moment um, at the 1992 Olympics uh, watching the flame being lit when... I thought that would be pretty cool to go to the Olympics. At that stage, I didn't know what sport. I didn't have, you know, a goal-setting progression of this is where I'm going to end up. But I knew I loved sport and I knew the Olympics was incredibly special to me. I think probably, you know, a few years down the track when I started doing well at track and field, I thought, oh, maybe this will happen for me. 
I never would have thought that it would be in rowing um, and I never thought that it would take as long as it took to, to make it to the top, but it was definitely worth it.